0: You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Hi, this is Robert Wright. One thing I like about the conversations I have here on The Wright Show is that they help me think and write. They've informed the books and many of the articles I've written over the past 15 years. Now, lately, most of my writing has been for my newsletter, the Non-Zero Newsletter. It covers the kinds of topics you see on the show, Politics, foreign policy, psychology, philosophy, spirituality, how to avoid the apocalypse, things like that. So if you enjoy the right show, chances are pretty good that you'll enjoy the newsletter. It's free, and all you have to do to get it is go to nonzero.org and sign up. So I suggest that you hit pause, go sign up, and then hit play. Thanks. Hi, Andrew. Hello, Bob. How you doing? I'm all right. You know, up and down, plague, everything. Yeah, the, uh, the plague is a, yeah, the play Well, <laughs> we can talk, we can talk a little plague. Uh, let me introduce this first. I'm, uh, Robert Wright. This is the Wright show available on both streaming video and via audio podcast. You're Andrew Sullivan, famous mm-hmm. journalist. Mm-hmm. You were editor of New Republic, as I recall. Mm-hmm. You, as you may recall. As I may recall. Uh, we can discuss the glory I days. I think I was the, the first one to pair you and Mickey. You know that's actually a good point. Uh, you, Mickey Kaus and I. This is a little known fact. Back when uh, the New Republic still had its flagship column, which, for reasons probably unclear to both of us, has been discarded. I mean, this right. was a true piece of American history—the TRB column. It had it uh, me, uh, right before uh, Mickey and I shared uh, duty. We we wrote it alternate weeks for a while. Before that, it had been written by such greats as Mike Kinsley, Rick Hertzberg uh, Richard Straught anonymously during the 50s, but that was a classic uh, rendition of it. It went way back, maybe to the very beginning of the magazine in 1914. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think back to when it was
1: uh, was in New York, definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because oh. one of the various apocryphal stories as to the origin of the TRB uh name was that it was Brooklyn Rapid Transit backwards, and somebody had seen a subway go by with backwards or something anyway, that one didn't hold up to scrutiny for various reasons. No one knows how it got the the name. but anyway, yeah, you were uh editor and uh, we had great times um and and after that, you were a, a truly pioneering blogger, one of the first bloggers to establish a big audience and uh, and now you're um and you written a bunch of books you're you're um you're writing a column for new york magazine under i think the name of it is interesting times is that right it is,
1: yes and i i have to produce um three big essays a year as well um i'm i'm i love i love my current job it's it's a wonderful job it's a
0: great job because apparently they let you write whatever you want right <laughs> well actually i'm curious <laughs> how, how constrained is it because it's uh, it's it has the feeling, and that's it's That's a good, this is a good thing for a column of being what's on your mind, the real you. Like, no. are are there? Do you do, do you? Uh, you don't have to tell us any more than you want to. But do you clear ideas with them? No,
1: um, I sometimes air ideas the day before with my editor and just talk them through a little bit. But that's mm-hmm. rare. But you know, they do help me a
0: lot, calm it down a little
1: bit. Um, well that's
0: a job somebody's got to do yeah
1: yeah and make me jump through various hoops on um, the job really is to try to not unnecessarily enrage people you know <laughs>
0: right. not
1: make mistakes and just offend people because you didn't mean to because something so it has a certain amount of of there's there's copy editing and there's woke editing in the idea is not to send readers into end into any unnecessary spasms of, uh, wokeness.
0: Yeah. I could use an editor. I've been doing stuff for my newsletter. Uh, and, uh, every once in a while, I, I kind of wish I had had like, uh, an old fashioned editor. It helps someone to say, you really mean this? Oh, did this <laughs> yeah, my yeah that, That's a good question to ask. And sometimes you just don't ask it of yourself because yeah. you're, you're pissed off. That's why I'm incredibly why great
1: with my editors. I have two great ones. And, they're really terrific, and and I'm very grateful because you know I'm not the usual run the mill New York magazine uh, politics, and they let me have a little little nook for contrariness, and and I'm grateful for that, and I'm, I'm grateful that there are some magazines you know still allowing for that. It's, yeah. it's not the easiest time for that kind of thing to carry on, um, but they've been
0: terrific. So. This is going to be an unusual conversation for me. Uh, we're going to talk mainly, I hope, about dogs. The way yeah. this started was I read online that one of your dogs had passed away. I think this was Eddie. Is that right?
1: Yeah, Eddie. Um, she uh was a, a, a mutt, really, but she was mainly basset hound and bloodhound. Hmm. Um, and a, a really lovely dog she, she we got her from rescue about fifteen years ago, so she was she 'd had a long life, and then she just started to just disintegrate just really the last six months and in fact, she lasted longer than I thought she was going to but it 's never an easy process and it's it 's very hard to explain to someone who doesn 't own a dog uh, or hasn 't bonded with a dog why. The loss is is really can be as intense as the loss of a human being
0: um yeah i, I this is what I wanted to I mean when I saw that i th- what I immediately thought was I can as a dog lover and dog owner we have two dogs I can appreciate how profound this is in a way that some people can't because they're just not dog people and um so I wanted to get you on to talk about this and to try to. Uh, try to articulate what it is about dogs that, in your view and my view, makes them so deeply lovable, and maybe articulate it in a way even that people who aren't uh, dog lovers can understand. It's in some ways an obvious thing, in some ways a, a subtle thing, um, but anyway, say whatever you... If you want to talk more about Eddie before we get into the general topic, feel free. I mean, that will inevitably shed light on the larger topic. If you if you do, or we can dive right in and, and try to come up with abstract uh, well, truths. Well, you know, C.S.
1: Lewis wrote that archetypal book, The Four Loves. I haven't read it.
0: Should well, it's,
1: it's it's you know it's Christian apologetics, but I think even you would 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 enjoy it in as much as it it's one of the few books on love and friendship that has an entire distinction for love of animals hmm. as its own uh, uh, quality. That there's there's a lot of animals, those who are not as developed up the evolutionary scale, maybe in intelligence, as us. And then there's um, friendship. Uh, there's romantic love. And then there is agape, caritas, the Christian understanding of, of universal indiscriminate
0: mm-hmm. love,
1: which I know you're interested in as a concept because it does emerge in history in this rather beautiful mm-hmm. way.
0: We are pushed closer to it, I think. Yeah, by by history.
1: You think by circumstance and so on. Uh, I I think that's true, but I also think there's some uh, something eschatological going on there.
0: Well, those two aren't aren't incompatible. I've tried to, you know, I mean, I I in 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 uh, when I wrote about this in in uh, in non-zero, I had a final chapter that got me into a lot of trouble with a lot of people about purpose, about teleology, and in my view. Uh, a materialist view i mean we're getting pretty deep here but anyway a materialist view of the forces in history that drive us in a given direction in this case maybe towards a broader uh, moral circle circle of moral consideration um a materialist account is not incompatible with the idea that the whole system is serving a telos a larger uh, telos that uh, possibly qualifies as transcendental anyway I'm weirdly dogs i think can be understood to be a part of that. I mean, they are a
1: species that at some point in our evolution decided that cooperating with us, as well as being parasitic on us, uh, would be a good evolutionary strategy, as it has turned out to be. And we, in return, also began to understand that our relationship with the natural world absolutely shouldn't be hostile and can in certain mm. circumstances with other animal beings be incredibly productive and, and and dogs have a unique, unique attachment to human beings of all the species of the world uh, in ways that have created, again, I think, a unique relationship that is that is hard to figure anywhere else. I might say that I started out not like this. As a kid, there was a, a German Shepherd up the street.
0: Did, Did your that, family I, not have dogs?
1: Well, this, I'm, this I'll tell you the yeah, story. Okay. didn't at first and there was a German Shepherd up the street that scared me. Uh, that every time you walked by, it would cu- it would really come at you with its teeth raring and barking, and it was. Sh- I was, you know, a kid, little kid, toddler, small age, and became frightened of dogs. Hmm. And my dad decided that this was not a good thing, and so he got a dog, a little dog, a little Springer Spaniel called Becky, actually. <laughs> Uh, Becky's become this sort of, uh, term of abuse, but, but it, it wasn't, she wasn't a Becky. Um, and so I got, I got to learn about dogs from, and I overcame my fear of them, uh, through, through this spring of Spaniel. My dad had a very traditional understanding of dogs. So the dog was kept outside in the kennel. Uh, yeah. the dog was used for hunting, uh, uh, and was understood to be a working dog, even though we were not. I mean, it was one of my dad's kind of fantasies. And he did it every now and again, and would go out and shoot some things with his dog. Uh, and also the dog never had a leash. We, I lived in the, I don't know where huh. you grew up, but I lived at the end of a, a road, which went into a field and woodlands, and there was really no through traffic much at all. But the dog would uh, disappear off. Um, and, and get, and come back at some point. And when we walked the dog, uh, we wouldn't walk it on a leash. I would walk it through the woodlands and through the past streams down little pathways. And Becky would, would be alongside. And every now and again, you'd whistle and she'd show up and come, come back if you were lucky. Um, yeah,
0: yeah that's with one of the several dogs we had, uh, in one of the pla- many places we lived. That was the deal. The dog would just uh, roam the neighborhood uh, and it wasn't, you know, I mean, it was a street with, with with houses, but in those days, of course, life was different then. I mean, people were more casual about everything. You know, kids didn't wear helmets when they rode bikes. There were a lot of differences, but I just remember I'd go out before uh, it was time to feed Zorro. Zorro was the dog's name, a black, uh, muddish poodle. And I'd say, come on, Zorro, <laughs> at the top of my lungs. And about nine times out of 10, uh, he'd be within hearing range and that was it. Different world. Um, but so you, so you warmed up to dogs. That's good. But oh, not particularly.
1: And the dog was kept, wasn't allowed. Eventually was allowed inside the house, but not upstairs. Um, they were very clear. My father had weird ideas about breeding her. So mm-hmm. we never fixed her. So when she came into heat, it was a nightmare. Every single dog in the entire neighborhood <laughs> would be surrounding our house baying and we had to have newspaper down on the floor everywhere because she was dripping blood the whole time uh, mm. which was insane but that's just my dad being insane uh, uh, but I grew to love her and and uh, look after her a little bit. It was a group it wasn't my own dog um, and then then I left for college and never had a dog for quite a while
0: yeah, our dog had an affair with the dog next door. That was a little bit of a scandal. We wound up owning one of the offspring. <laughs> um the uh that was one of the one of the perils of letting them roam for, God knows how many offspring that dog had, in fact. Um but uh so, yeah, it's a, um, well, it, I, I have kind of a similar story. I mean, as I say, we had uh, a couple of uh, dogs different times, and I loved them as a kid, but I didn't, when I got to, to college, I didn't like, think I'm, life is void, devoid of meaning without a dog. And then it was a couple of decades before my daughter, younger daughter, when she was about, I don't know, 13 or so started agitating for a dog. She even did like a PowerPoint presentation about why we should get a dog and presented it. And <laughs> so we got a dog at a shelter and I just, and then later um we intercepted a second dog. So we now have two dogs uh, that was on its way from an owner who after buying it at a pet shop, didn't like it. So it's a puppy mill dog Uh and was going to, Get, uh, send it to a shelter and we wound up intercepting it um because my wife's uh sister as as an avocation orchestrates finds homes for this particular breed of dog so anyway we've got two dogs and i just can't believe how p- profound my relationship with them has become. I mean, my wife says like when these dogs die, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I mean, it's like uh, you know, because she knows I'm going to be completely distraught, and and uh, I, I, I I don't I don't know why. Maybe it's something that with age, if you have if you have it in you at all to love dogs, it gets more profound. Um, but uh, it, it it's really I, w- 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 if people ask you. What is it about them um, that stirs this? Do you have an answer? Well, I wouldn't say
1: the normal thing, which is they give you unconditional love.
0: Yeah, that's good. I don't quite agree with that either. In fact, one thing I like about them is the extent to which they exploit. They're actually kind of cynical. I like that in an animal. (laughs) Yes.
1: I also have hounds who are notoriously could give a shit about their owners. <laughs> or if it's, as I always say, if it's a choice between me and a potato chip 200 yards away, I lose every time. And my first dog that I got, Dusty, a, a beagle, was
0: was really an asshole in so many ways, in, in a way that I kind of respected after a while. Now, was Dusty the icon for your blog for yeah. a while? You're, yeah. Okay, so that was the beagle that who appeared in cartoon form. Yeah. In, in, in your... And, the story got,
1: one of my best friends died of AIDS, and he had a little beagle. And uh, this was like, I don't know how long ago now, uh, 1995. And uh, I decided rather on a whim that I would get a beagle to remind me of him. It was a way of connecting with one of my best friends who died at 31. And, uh, he was obsessed with beagles. So I got a beagle. And I got a beagle from the same, uh, breeder that he had got one from. Uh, and she was, you know, she was sweet. She, she, she howled all the time. She ate anything and everything. She couldn't really give a shit about me most of the time. She wouldn't come up to me affectionately. She would, uh, the only thing she did explicitly for me was not howl when I was asleep amazingly so. Mm-hmm. Um, when I lived in Provincetown this summer, I lived on the end of a wharf, which was surrounded by people. So she would always be baying at everything that went by because it was in her territory. But not when I was asleep, which showed, proved to me that it was a choice on her part. She could restrain it, but then she didn't. Um, and uh, she howled every time I left. Mm-hmm. And in a way that I remember one day a neighbor came over to me and he was very sweet. In a very province-down kind of way. And he was trying to put it to me gently and he said, is that your dog? And I said, yes. He said, well, it's obviously a love dog, but people are suffering.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I could have laughed. I was like, oh, suffering? Suffering because of the howling? Because of the howling.
1: Mm. And I said something flippant at the time, like, you mean in Bosnia? Uh,
0: something,
1: <laughs> something really assholy dog ownership. Cause you get very protective, you know. Even oh yeah. Oh yeah. Don't mess with them. Badly, you're incredibly protective about them. Very self-conscious and, and, uh, you know, any, any imputation that you're not really looking at this dog correctly, you feel very strongly about. Um, anyway, who was very sweet. I, she had a collar that let off citronella smell when she would bay to try and inf- try and stop it. Cause I could stop it when I was with her, but not when I was gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All she managed to do was to howl just the right decibel level. So it didn't <laughs> trigger. <That's laughs> good. Impossible, impossible dog. Um, but I loved her. Um, and I loved her personality. I loved her character. I love the fact that she didn't really give a shit about me, but kind of did at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was a character. Beagles are often like that. Um, beagles are renowned for not being like a golden uh retriever or lab. They just love, 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 that blah, blah, blah. Get the ball, get the ball. This isn't a beagle. Beagle will throw a ball, pick up the ball, go somewhere with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just endeared me to her and... uh uh, and when she died, I was really broken. I, I was—I wrote about it on the dish at
0: the time, and there was—that was—that was dusty.
1: Yeah, that broke me. It was just before my—it was five days before I turned fifty, oh. uh, and it was brutal. And uh, yeah, I mean. They they somehow attach to your heart in a way, and you live with them. You see, I mean that's the other thing. When you work at home like I do, and you you, you really are a writer, a freelancer, or whatever, these dogs are with you twenty four seven. You know, it's no other person is that constantly with you, and so you develop just the just this feeling of being with that creature um, yeah. and learning their idiosyncrasies and appreciating them as another being on this earth. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little hippie-like on that. I I I I I don't believe as I probably should as a Christian in this massive demarcation between humans and all other beings. I don't at all. Um and I think dogs kind of prove that to you.
0: Mhm. Yeah, um it's I I uh I mean one thing I don't know. I've had there's a there's a super intense experience I've had a couple of times with one of my dogs. So my dogs are different. One of them, when you're petting him, he looks off in the distance and and, and adopts a kind of regal pose, as if you're like con- should consider yourself lucky for being allowed to pet him. And then the other one, Milo, just kind of looks directly at you appreciatively. And so with Milo, like you can sustain eye contact for a long time. And when you think about that, you don't you don't often get a chance to do that. With people, right? There's this old saying, like, if two people sustain eye contact for five seconds, it means they're either going to fight or make love. It just isn't normal to just stare into the eyes of another person and, like, appreciate whatever is going on. And I've had this weird thing. Oh, here comes Frazier. Hey, Frazier, come here. Um, Frazier is not the one I have this with. This is uh, Frazier is our first oh. dog. Frazier uh, needs a haircut. It's uh, This is a pandemic-related uh, problem. Hey, Frazier. <laughs> um uh come here buddy uh but anyway so uh frazier's the one who looks off regally anyway with my i have had this experience and maybe i shouldn't admit this because it sounds so weird but you know generally i'm like a very i have a materialist view of the world as we just uh alluded to and when i think about what love is i think of it as like a feeling that for, for in general subjective experience for reasons we don't understand is a this thing that happens with animals uh, and accompanies like the material physical workings of their body. Uh But sometimes like when I stare directly into Milo's face, I just get this feeling that maybe it's the reverse. Like the love is the fundamental thing. Like that connection, the immaterial kind of manifestation of the connection is the fundamental thing. And the material world is... Adapting to that, if that makes sense. I mean, it's a... You
1: mean that the... Basically, the general theory is they love us because we give them food and shelter. And it's a trade-off. And that they've learned to exploit that capacity evolutionarily to use the human for their own good. And to recognize, therefore, that being nice to the human is in their self-interest as well in the long run. But, and I, I accept that. It makes... Total sense evolutionarily and all the rest. Oh yeah, but there's something left over that really does, I think, is immaterial in that sense. That that uh, that their connection to you at times is, for example, even when Dusty would get into trouble, uh, a dog was attacking her or something, or she got once she got her legs wrapped up in the leash outside and she wasn't with me and she got trapped and she couldn't move. She howls for me and and I'm the only one that can come and help her. And, uh, and I can hear that howl of distress and it's clearly Mm -hmm. directed to me. Come Um. get me. And that's moving. (laughs) Yeah. It's moving. Um, uh, Eddie, the second dog who was, uh, a mix of things. She kind of looks like a beagle, but she was actually a, a basset hound, bloodhound, chinook mix. Was my husband's really loved dog most of all, but, but we, she became part of our, our family. And, uh, sweet, loving, sweet dog. Uh, bassets are really mellow and chill and lovely dogs. they they're, they're, they're weird looking, but they're... you don't,
0: you don't see many of them in uh, in my demographic, at least uh, much. But yeah, they're 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 very distinctive looking dogs.
1: Well, they have this long body with these short stubby legs and these yeah. strange long ears. She's also part bloodhound, but she was a totally different character than Dusty. Again, you learn that this these animals have personality. It's impossible oh, totally. not to absorb that they have a personality. Now, people tell you that can't be true. It is. Fucking true. Oh, completely, Please. completely. Uh, she was much calmer, much sweeter, would come up and sit next to you, uh, was kind of a little goofy. Uh, she was the opposite of Dusty in many ways. And I think – and when Dusty died, she seemed actually quite psyched. <laughs> really? Yes. I've noticed this two times because both Bowie and Dusty, my last two – so we're still here. Uh, she's somewhere around here. Um, I anticipated that they would feel some sort of grief because they'd live together with each other. Well,
0: did they really know the dog had died? I mean, the dog was, uh, was put down, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, so it happened at the vets. I mean, it didn't happen within view of the other yeah, dog. The she, dog didn't just... she didn't see me kill her. Uh, that's an un, yeah. perhaps an unnecessarily uh, harsh you way to treat yourself. Uh, I'm sure there was no humane alternative. Uh, it's, my, it's my Catholic... Joke.
1: I just don't yeah, want to yeah. euphemize this stuff. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And, of course, the great question of when to kill your dog uh, towards the very end of their lives uh, is an incredibly difficult one. Yeah. Um, because you're weighing obviously, their health and happiness and well-being against uh, the increasing difficulty of taking care of them, their increasing difficulty to function. Um, yeah. So I spent the first you know, several months of this year with her in diapers, uh, constantly changing diapers, constantly carrying her up and down stairs until she really couldn't walk at all, at which point yeah. I just realized I, I, this is not fair. There comes a point at which You're keeping them alive for you, not for them. And it, I, I don't think anybody outside of that relationship can make that decision right. Mm. Uh, but it's the worst decision in both cases I've ever had to take. It was, it was the right decision, I think both times, but uh, brutal. And when it happened in COVID-19, you know, there was no one to go with me, Mm. no one to be there afterwards. Uh, it was a very,
0: Isolating. But
1: experience. you were, but you were still with
0: the dog? Yes. And oh, that's, well, that's important.
1: important. Oh yeah. I was right with her at the very end. Um, uh, I was talking to her. My face was against her face as she, as she passed away.
0: Yeah. And yeah,
1: it's, it, it's hard to explain. Um, but I think there's so much at your mercy. In so many ways, you know, they you, they depend so much on you that you feel like that's a betrayal, really, of everything. But it's not. no, it's,
0: no, it's, not. it's not. It's not. But it feels but, but, that way. But but that dependence is part of the poignance, the ongoing poignance of 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 the dogs. I mean, there's just a kind of there's a kind of innocence about them that I think is really part of the appeal. I mean, they have not eaten. Uh, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I, you know, they just don't, you know, they're not like embarrassed by things. They're not ashamed by, you know, it's like, uh, they're so transparent in their motives. They're, uh, and they're, uh, there's just this, uh, I don't know. There's just this innocence about them that gets me, uh, gets me every time. There's
1: also a, solidity to them. You know,
0: I, this is especially true.
1: I think it's very interesting that dog uh, ownership just boomed under COVID, that, that all the <laughs> shelters became empty, the people got dogs. And for me, uh, one reason my dogs have been so great, or now my dog in this period, is is that they get up every day, not really aware there's this thing going on. Their temperament is even they experience she seems to experience joy several times a day. Just joy. Oh yeah. A leap when the food is coming. Joy to kind of a, uh, on uh, on the walk. Uh just as this found something disgusting under a bush that she smells, she's fucking psyched. <laughs> um, my Dusty again was the worst. She would she had a particular love of uh well, maybe this is too much information, but uh no,
0: there's no such thing.
1: <laughs> she, my worst moment was when she disappeared under a bush in Meridian Hill Park. This is before it became yuppie, and uh, and it was a place where homeless people would go to the toilet uh, if you weren't careful. And she had an obsession with homeless mm. people's diarrhea, and mm. and <laughs> she thought it was the best maybe, thing ever.
0: Maybe that <laughs> was not Maybe that was enough information. Okay. No, no, go ahead.
1: I'm kidding. She I'm kidding. Come out of the bush. came out yeah. of the bush. I was unaware. The, the, the other thing that makes you laugh is that she, this is, she, this is the, one of the best days of her life. You know, she mm-hmm. was so psyched that she covered herself in this disgusting smell. Yeah. Uh, and obviously I was horrified. The other thing she once did was, was I couldn't find her in Provincetown once. And I was going nuts about finding her and kept walking past this giant uh, carcass of a tuna on the on the beach, he had she'd gotten <laughs> inside the thing, inside <laughs> inside it. So I couldn't see it with a big old. Sometimes there are big old carcasses of fish and oh, and wow. that show up on the floor on the shore. There are uh, thrown out by fishermen, and she was inside just having the time of her life. And mm. it took me about three weeks to get that scent off her mm. in, in
0: some way or other. Once Fraser, the dog you just saw, there was a really super hard freeze. It was so cold, and he went out back and then showed up at the door. We let him in, and he's got this like completely frozen dead squirrel. He's holding it by the tail. It's like a squirrel sickle. And 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 <laughs> and, and. But the funny thing is, so I took it and disposed of it in the front yard, just just for the time being, just put it in the front yard. He goes out in the backyard and finds another one, and and it's it's like. His pride and happiness, it was just, uh, I was sorry to take it away from him, but you just can't let a dog have a squirrel sickle because they they start thawing out, you know?
1: Yes. In Provincetown, two years ago, uh, a rabbit warren established itself in a bunch of dune grass right in front of my cottage on the beach. And this, for Bowie, was just, I mean, that summer was, I, I know, it was the greatest summer. And she spent the entire time running around the dunes chasing little baby rabbits. Occasionally, mm-hmm. she would get one and bring one in, just like little baby rabbits. Hmm. But there was a... Well, what, wait,
0: what form were they in when... They were still it? half alive. Really? When she but, brought yeah,
1: yeah, them yeah. in, yeah. uh, which was a little nerve-wracking. I didn't want to get something from them, some bug or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a... The sound she made, the yelp she made when it's not something she'd made before or after the since. that hmm. she was clearly designed genetically
0: to go to short, small chase animals.
1: some yes. small yeah. animal. Uh, and I've never seen her more fully alive than when she was doing that. And even yeah. though I shouldn't have let her out because sometimes she'd see one from the window and beg, but just watching her run around was just like, gave me so much joy that she was having so much joy. And in that moment, you're kind of taken out of your own pathetic uh default brain network <laughs> you're taken out of that uh you know self centered human world into something else entirely and every time you, that happens in a day your sanity improves you you get a little perspective on yourself and little Bowie my current one she was originally a we're told uh because you know shelters come up with stories. I'm not sure how valid they are, but nonetheless, she was apparently a working dog that was in a pack, went off leash as a puppy, got hit by a truck and Mm. had her back leg amputated. Mm. So she's a tripod, which is very hip now. Is that right?
0: Did you start a trend? No,
1: I didn't. I I realized afterwards though, that it is kind of a a hip thing to have a three-legged dog. Um, and that's yes, another thing about them. You know, this guy suffered an amazing trauma as a kid. You know, she was mangled up by a truck. The, the leg was smashed. She now walks on three. You would have no – she has no consciousness of it. Mm-hmm. She's not in any way self-aware. She runs like a whippet. Uh, or when I walk around sometimes, you'll hear people – I hear them after I walk by, I go, oh oh, oh yeah. oh, where's the poor girl? she's not poor it's like she's
0: psyched she, mm. she, she
1: has no interest in this lack of a leg at all.
0: So do you look at them and say she's just differently abled?
1: <laughs> no, they often ask me stupid questions like um well, how did that happen mm-hmm. and uh, well it's not a stupid question um, and I normally say... Well, lesbians also often ask that question. Uh, uh, oh, really? More than usual. <laughs> lesbians are very concerned about dogs for some reason or other. Uh, and I would normally just say, well, she was very badly behaved, and so we took that off, and she's been good as gold ever since.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I just wait for the response. Occasionally, if I'm feeling I just want to tease the lesbians, I, I will say something like that. But, no, she's just always been that way.
0: Now – what do you think about the dog cat thing?
1: Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have I'm, firm views. I have
1: a firm view on it. I have absolutely no interest in cats. I somewhat dislike them. I am extremely allergic to them, which must
0: affect. Oh, well, that I'm sure has colored your view. But aside from that, how would you uh, articulate your? Uh... I would say it's difference between good and evil. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you
1: know, we all you know it, obviously not. I'm not. But I just find the, the, I'm enough of a cat. I don't need another one. I'm enough, I'm independent myself. I'm a little uh, self-preoccupied. Uh, I self-sufficient. I'm not that, you know, and I don't need another creature like me in the, in yeah. my environment. And so a dog, they've just, uh, they're just wonderful compliments to my own vices.
0: Now, the reply of the cat owner might be, uh the cat lover might be, well, you just can't handle the autonomy. Is it too threatening? Do you have to have a slave as a companion, you know?
1: Well, I like to think of that with a beagle, you don't have a slave. Well, that's
0: a, that's a good point. They're, hard, I
1: mean, they're not easy to train at all. Yeah. They still... Beagles will still piss inside if they just feel like it. Yeah. They will piss inside if they just uh, want to say something. Um, I remember the first time my then to be husband slept over in my bed, the first time. Got up the next morning, made coffee, whatever. Dusty gets up into the bed, onto the bed where he mm-hmm. was sleeping, and pees right there on the mattress totally
0: appropriate response yes i mean i mean you 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 had brought in another animal yes what what the hell is this person doing here and and we we had a party to was he sleeping in the dog slept in your bed our dogs actually sleep in our bed in our bed and and let me just tell you this is how much i love dogs it's like Two, two, uh, two, only two nights ago, I wake up in the middle of the night and there's this like tick crawling on me. And so I, I get up and like throw it down toilet, flush it down toilet. Of course, they carry Lyme disease and everything else. I don't even consider changing our sleeping patterns. I mean, the dogs are sleeping in the bed. I'm sorry. But anyway, go ahead with your, uh, Dusty, Dusty wouldn't sleep in the bed.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. I think that would, that would imply too much slavish. I see. View, right, right. She was slightly distant. She was like Snoopy, uh, who was a beagle. Um, mm-hmm. and Snoopy's attitude towards Charlie Brown, roughly Dusty's attitude towards me. Eddie loved to sleep on top of the bed near us. Bowie sleeps under the covers with, with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at a distance because I'm a, apparently I have restless leg syndrome and I kick and, mm-hmm. and so she stays a little bit apart from me, but the best thing of my morning is when I wake up and I wear a rather sexy uh, a CPAP mask from sleep apnea,
0: mm-hmm.
1: really hot. And I so I have a process where I just turn that off and take the mask off. And that that signifies that I'm up. She will then, I just see this little movement from the bottom of the bed come towards me under the covers, come up and then just lick, lick my face. Every yeah. Hello. Lick, 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 lick. I'm just. I, what, what did I do to deserve that? I did nothing to deserve that. She's yes. just the sweetest thing. Now, I feel. Day.
0: I feel sometimes privileged and honored by you know when the, uh, by just one of the dogs allowing me to pet them or something. I mean, now Fraser. Speaking of licking, actually has a licking disorder. I would say. I mean, at night, more often than not, Fraser will get under the covers. I mean, he will just lick your hand to death. So i I actually wear long sleeves to bed because otherwise Frasier would lick his way all the way up to my shoulder. This confines it to the hand, but I mean he will lick my hand for like five minutes. I not infrequently fall asleep while Fraser's licking my hand but when fraser w- when I'm still awake when he's done and he sometimes like just puts his head on my hand and that's where he's gonna fall asleep, I just am so touched by that I, it's hard to explain. I just feel like. There's a kind of trust in me. I, I don't know what it is. See, th- these are. I, I'm just talking gibberish to somebody who doesn't love dogs. But it's just. It's so. It's just so moving. Gosh. Last
1: night, I was sitting down on the floor, with my back against the couch, watching, uh, watching Netflix, and Bowie got up on the couch behind me and just rested her head on my shoulder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Probably one of the most intimate things you could do with anybody. You Just. Rest it right there, but from behind. So, and yes, I've never felt such an expression of privilege, <laughs> love from someone. It was so sweet of her to do that. Um, it didn't seem, at that moment, to be any ulterior motive. I mean, usually it's food at some in some level. Uh, sometimes she comes up and kisses me when she needs to go out to take a pee. Um, but in general, uh, I'm overwhelmed every day by her love mm. and. I feel unworthy of it because I am unworthy of it because my own love for her, however powerful is just not as is, is more colluded than hers for, for me. It seems hmm. there's a purity to, to her, to her loyalty and love. Um, I sometimes wonder whether uh, domesticating the way we have, which is almost treating them as little humans in a way, not, not really, but they're, they're not working. And my dad had this, you know, very passionate belief that dogs are designed to be worked and, and they're happiest when they're doing the things that they were actually bred specifically to do. And when I saw Bowie that time come alive chasing little rabbits, I realized, yeah, these dogs really were created to do, perform specific tasks. The other interesting thing just to bring it up is cultural differences about dogs. Yeah. Now, which, fascinates me. I mean, because obviously I, I would think that the, the locus classicus of dog absurd love is England. The British are just nuts about dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, you acquire almost moral superiority by having one and, and, and there's this, I understand to people outside of it, it's kind of irritating in a way. There's a certain self-righteousness about dog owners and dogs that, they, uh, that somehow if you don't get it, they feel incredibly smug and self-centered and circular, so mm-hmm. I totally appreciate people feeling that way. Um, but uh, and I noticed the difference when I first got my first dog here. When I take a walk through the neighborhood without the dog, there was a, it was a certain vibe. When I had a dog with me, everybody reacted differently to me. Hmm. They were much more. They approached you more. You got more smiles. They would ask questions it was a a very different social interaction with other humans when you have a dog.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, the cultural differences are extreme. My, my uh, other daughter, not the one who did the PowerPoint presentation about dogs, um, (coughs) spent some time in, in Greenland on a Fulbright scholarship and said that there the dogs. Um, you know, they're very, have a very utilitarian relationship. I mean, they're sled dogs, you know, and, uh, and the relationship is much less, uh, much less intimate, um, than ours is with dogs. And, you know, my father was a little like yours, I think. Uh, I mean, not that that dog did a lot of work for us, but this is actually a different dog I'm talking about, not Zorro. But, um, you know, there was a, an actual dog house out back. The dog slept there. I remember my dad putting in a light bulb just to heat it in the somewhat cool winters, but, um, that was the deal. The dog slept outside. You know, now, our dogs sleep in our bed, you know. That's a that's a difference. And my and my dad loved the dog, he you know. But it was uh, it was a different relationship. And my father had grown up on a farm, you know. But I I, I mean, I've wondered uh, uh whether uh you know the human symbiosis with dogs goes back further, I believe, than with any other domesticated animal. So because it goes back before agriculture, before right. domestic, before sheep and goats and things. You know, and I've wondered whether humans have, uh, as a result of the long evolution in symbiosis with dogs, some kind of instinctive uh, affinity for them that maybe is only uh, maybe only becomes robust if it's triggered in youth or something. Maybe it maybe it depends on your circumstance, but to me, it just feels uh, so deep. And uh, I, I mean, don't, I guess don't could, true I mean,
1: by and large, and this is just an observation. We in America, African-Americans have a different, slightly different interaction with dogs. In fact, in my neighborhood, which has, has changed over the years, but used to be primarily African-American, uh, children would run away. Uh, hmm. They would scream. They would. Uh, there was a it's definite a- cultural uh, fear of dogs that seemed to happen from a very young age. Um, presumably for lack of familiarity or possibly because pit bulls or dogs have been used in those contexts in which they were designed to be scary mm-hmm. and had scared kids. Um, but then moving out of that, and you look at somewhere like the Middle East, India, uh, these are places where dogs are routinely out there, unowned, um, uh, seem to be uh, just scavenging uh, randomly through uh the streets. Now, I don't know enough about it, but I'm interested into into why there would be different cultural responses to dogs. Maybe it's a function of whether dogs were historically that much used in those cultures as opposed to in, say, Northern Europe where they were crucial for all sorts of hunting and fishing and all the rest of it. I don't know.
0: Yeah. No, it's strange. Um, You know, in the cat thing, I I had occasion to we, 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 uh, at a family reunion last summer, we got an Airbnb, we were there for a week, and it came with a cat. And I did develop a little bit of an appreciation of cats. I, I can see it kind of happening to me, uh, but, but it would be so different. Uh, and, and there is, I mean, there is the, the autonomy is real. It's like the funny thing I noticed about that cat was like, the cat would come up, I pet it a little, the cat likes it, starts purring, and then decides to move on, and I'm like, my dogs don't operate that way. I mean, it's like, if something feels good, I mean, that's the other thing about them. They are such hedonists. If, if, I mean, to different, different dogs to different degrees, but by and large, they are operating on my algorithm, which is if something feels good, stick with it. <laughs> you know, right. and, and, uh, I, I could never figure out that cat's algorithm, uh, but it would be a very different relationship. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to be,
1: I don't want to be prejudiced.
0: And yet, whatever you're going to say is not going to be pro-cat.
1: Yeah, I did say good versus evil earlier, but that was a joke. Um, Oh, I'm sure that there are many people who have cats who have really strong relationships with them. I don't, I don't understand quite that relationship. Um, But I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be prejudicial towards cat people. Um, I'm not sure I could ever date one. <laughs> uh you mean a cat person not a, a cat. cat person yes yeah, not a cat yeah um uh it's just something about the relationship you have with a dog that, that that tells something about you
0: in a way i i
1: why am I being inarticulate about this? It is, isn't. it's hard to understand. No,
0: I, I wonder, I mean, that, that was the question I was going to ask. You think there, are, there really are literally cat people and dog people? I mean, and, in fact, that's kind of what I was thinking when I brought up my experience with that, that one week experience with a cat is like, well, maybe I could have been a cat person. I don't know. Uh, if I had had more exposure and there are probably cat people who could become dog people, but I got to say, I mean, it's funny. It's like my wife, she grew up with dogs in the, in the, uh, in her house. But she does not have... I mean, she does feel intense. She loves them. But it's not nearly as obviously intense as it is... I mean, she and my daughters make fun of me for how strongly I obviously feel about the dogs.
1: I didn't realize it about you, Bob, actually. You haven't really let this out before.
0: It's... You it's, know, uh, I guess so I haven't talked about it a lot, but I mean...
1: So the more sentimental side of you, which... Uh, some people are not privy to, but uh, here's the, but here's the thing. Um, what was I going to say? Blah blah blah. blah. Um,
0: well, let's see. Cats, cat people, dog people. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I, I I don't
1: dislike cats, but I they tend to walk away from me when I go towards them, <laughs> and <laughs> and insofar as they're in an actual room where I'm at, within five minutes I can't breathe. So so I, that. Kind of shifts thing. The reason uh, I that that could again,
0: that honest. definitely definitely could have called your view. Do, you, do you know uh, Roy Blunt Junior., the humorist who is uh, he used to do this stick about dogs and cats and say like a dog if you walk into your house and a dog's up in the couch where it's not supposed to be, it's like oh I'm sorry. He gets down like I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do to make Blah blah blah. And he says if 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 it's a cat you walk in and the cat looks at you like yeah, what are you going to do? Call the police. It's like, uh, the thing about dogs is that,
1: of course, they make messes. Uh, I can I mean, I can't believe what I've done. I've picked up shit. I have, yeah. I have washed human diarrhea off a dog. I yeah. have, I have, I mean, the things you sort of get used to in terms of, I mean, especially when Eddie was in her last few months, I mean, the place was full of dripping urine from her diapers. There isn't, you, you realize you wouldn't put up with this for anything else. You wouldn't allow your own to be invaded by puddles of pee and uh, vomit. And, you know, they've eaten my pot stash. They've, they've,
0: they've raided the pot stash. Oh, I ha- did pen. that al- – wait wait, 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 back up. Did that alter their behavior, the pot stash? Uh, it did. In what way?
1: Well, it happened twice. Once with Dusty, once with Eddie, which probably – be did point. they eat, like, a bunch they ate an ounce, a whole Ooh. ounce each,
0: uh out of the. Tr- they they opened the. Tr- it wasn't like it was sitting out. I mean, that could kill. That would kill a person, wouldn't? I mean, that would like a no, person would have to be. A what? No, no it I mean, wouldn't kill a person. Wouldn't they, uh, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they be hospitalized with like paranoid delusions or yes, something? And, I, and my dog was hospitalized with paranoid delusions. I mean, really, I had no idea what was happening because
1: you don't realize it when you walk in. She seemed chill. Uh, first time around. <laughs> just around with Dusty she's on the couch and normally she'd rush to the door uh, at this but time this she fell on she the couch she just she looked at you and said dude
0: <laughs> she
1: sat down again and was like dude have a good day and I was a little curious didn't, it didn't really make much sense to me why she would do that very unusual behavior and eventually I realized when I got to the other side of the bed that she puked they puked it all up again. Well, that's good. Very useful. Um, so that's when I saw what had happened. And then, of course, I found myself laughing. But with Eddie, she, she did so much. She didn't puke up all that much of it that I took her to the hospital immediately. And uh, she was in her crate, suddenly jumped out of the crate, looked at me, ran away, jumped at sounds on the television, was completely beside herself. And I was upset. You know, it, it's funny in retrospect; it wasn't at the time. but yeah, I yeah. got into the hospital. Um, the chocolate my other dog once ate and then puked all over the place. Right. Uh was another epic adventure. Um, there's a my favorite dog book about dogs is a book called My Dog Tulip. Have you heard of this book? Oh, Bob, this is a good day. I'm so happy to introduce you to this. My
0: book. Dog Tulip.
1: Tulip. It's by J.R. Ackley. Who was a, a literary figure in the 30s in Britain. Actually was a publisher for The Listener, but one of the first publishers of Eliot and Pound, actually. Very mm-hmm. serious intellectual, homosexual, single, was notorious for cruising the East End Docklands for, 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 for a working men who needed a few extra shillings and pence or whatever. Notoriously promiscuous, and, uh, and then, got a German Shepherd that he called Queenie <laughs> just for the sake of it and never had a relationship with another human being again. This dog became the entire focus of his life, his love of his life, this dog. Mm-hmm. And the book is seriously the funniest book. It's up there with Woodhouse. It is his descriptions. There's one chapter just called Fluids and Solids, which, which will have any dog owner laughing hysterically out loud it's a very highbrow english account of obsession with a dog i don't know do you have any dog books that you that you
0: no i'm not that widely read uh in the in i'm trying to think i mean a favorite of uh my kids when they were young was a a child's uh kind of you know a book called why benny barks um the uh but no, I mean, when I was a kid, I read Old Yeller. I had to for school, oh, right. and I actually cried. It's sad; the dog dies. Yeah. Um, oops, plot spoiler. <laughs>
1: um, Ruin it for all the many listeners yeah. of the Bob Wright show who haven't read these books yet. Um,
0: Fraser is back. He's 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 just nosing around for stray food. This is a perfect example. Fraser's like 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 if I'm in the room. He, he comes in and yes, he will eventually get around to greeting me, but first he would like to sweep the area in search of any nuggets of food that I may have dropped on the floor. That, that's, that's what I like. That's what I, I, it's not, it's, it's not slavish devotion on their part. They're using you and I respect that.
1: I respect it too. I, I have a great fondness, but respect for them and the way they subtly also use you. I mean, Bowie and Eddie used affection as a tool. Um, so instead of barking to get me to take her out to pee, she just comes up and love bombs me and Mm -hmm. the love bombing after a while. You're like, okay, that's very nice. But why are you doing it now? Like, why are you doing, you go to the, why am I getting this? now? Oh, do you want to do this? I have a word for her to go outside to pee and she will immediately jump around and like go to the door. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and honestly, I think if anything happened to that dog, and I'll be honest with you, of the three dogs I've had, Bowie is by far the one that I've, I've just, I'm just in love with, just completely in love with. I don't know how I get through the day.
0: With how, how old is Bowie now? She's seven. Oh, that's, that, there's um, a lot. Of
1: time. She's got plenty of time, God yeah. willing. Um, uh, and i do anything for her. The idea of losing her, I've had nightmares of, her, uh, you know, being run over by a car or losing, mm-hmm. her. There's those nightmares where you can't find her, uh, and there's always that terror. Beagles are the most lost dogs; they're the ones that people lose the most. Because is that right?
0: Because they're yeah. because they are independent,
1: and because they're driven by their nose. And if uh-huh. they're on a trail, everything sort of disappears for them, but this smell and and before they know it, uh, they're somewhere they don't recognize. Um, mm-hmm. But also horrible to say, the most experimented of armed dogs, beagles. Is that right? Yeah, the most common for labs, because they're so docile and trusting, which just makes me feel ill. Uh, I mean, I, the abuse of dogs is another question. Um, Eddie was abused, our second dog. We know she was abused for yeah. better reasons. And again, that strikes me as a particularly evil thing to do. Uh, yeah, we-
0: I think maybe Fraser had a rough year before uh we we he he came into our house. So we don't we don't know anything about his history. We got him at a shelter, but he has a lot of weird uh he, he well, he has some weird quirks and then Milo has them for I think a different reason, which is that Milo is a puppy mill dog. The original owner bought him at a toy store, which, you know, I guess puppy mill means the breeders are very careless and they they're not trying to to weed out uh deleterious traits and so on and milo has the weirdest quirks like whenever you first encounter like when i come home milo kind of uh is very very wary and and i've never laid a hand on the dog it was just from the beginning that was ingrained in the dog that he would kind of walk away from you and you'd have to kind of catch up with him and reassure him um and uh i I think puppy mill dogs just have these uh quirks i mean plus like uh you know sometimes walking while he's peeing, which is a pretty endearing trait uh he like if it's if how does the, the
1: male dog do that
0: uh you'd he's just very acrobatic I mean if there's like snow on the ground i it sometimes it looks as if he's trying to write his name um I don't <laughs> think he is, but um the uh, no, well, only of course
1: is a girl, and she only has three legs. So she has somehow to squat on one leg. Which boy,
0: is- it's two front legs, one rear leg.
1: Yes. Uh, uh-huh. So when she wants to squat, she really can't. Uh, so she staggers. So she keeps going forward as she pees. She kind of leans down a little bit, but keeps walking forward to keep her balance. Mm-hmm. So. I could always tell who peed in the apartment because one pee would be a puddle and one would be a straggling little lie of her um, attempts to stay upright while she pees. Yeah. Thing. And of course you just heartbreaks for that, but she didn't care. She's just
0: peeing. Yeah. Um, no, the consciousness is a wonderful thing about dogs. And also dogs. No other dog treats her differently because she has three legs. That's funny. Yeah.
1: You know, and, and if, if, if you were a disabled person, Inevitably, even if you're the most well-adjusted person, other people would respond to you differently. You would respond differently to yourself, maybe, to some extent. It doesn't seem to be, they are not, dogs are amazingly not racist. You know, when you think, if you think of the variety of breeds, I mean, this is one thing that amazes me about them. A Great Dane and a Beagle puppy, you know, I mean, how do they know they're the same species?
0: Yeah, that's true. there
1: There are very few other species where they look so different from each other. Right but they but they're not no. At all
0: no, I think there are probably no undomesticated species where that's true, and yet uh yeah, and yet it's the case um and with them is there's
1: an extreme variety, I mean really extreme oh, oh. yeah,
0: no it it's
1: and it's total a total democracy in the dog park, you know there, there is obviously they established various forms of authority pack leadership and so on, but nonetheless no dog is marginalized <laughs> that's right. A Um, they don't do what humans
0: do to each other. I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, there is always that moment where you don't know whether they're going to be friends or the opposite, but usually it seems to me they're usually trying to be friends. I mean, you know, if you, if you encounter another person who's walking a dog, um, I mean, Milo, unfortunately is one of these species where they cut off the tail for whatever reason. And so it's, you got to pay very close attention to see if he's wagging his his stump or not. But, um, the, um, so, yeah, I, uh I mean, just one other thing I love about them, you know, with, with my kids, once they get beyond a certain age, you just can't at any, in any given time, be sure that you can't know that you can make them happy. It gets more and more complicated. With dogs, you can always make them happy. And with cats, I'm not sure you can always make them happy. I I don't know. But, um, but dogs, you can always make happy. And that's a nice. I don't know if that's, uh, if I should I'm be. I'm not sure it's
1: true of all. I mean, I think there are disturbed dogs or abused dogs. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Dogs yeah. Who can't, that take a long time to, but eventually they will eventually with the right hands, they will calm down and be sweet and happy. Uh, yeah. um, food, but food is this, you know, food is the, is, is the thing. I mean, that's what my dogs love. I mean, more than anything else, just food. Yeah. Um, well,
0: they like being petted, right? Yeah, I guess they do, but... but I mean, have you ever given your dog, like, a full-body massage?
1: I, well, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that, but do I...
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just mean, like, start with the scalp, pay fine attention, because, you know, they can't do that for themselves. They can't do that for themselves.
1: Cratchies in the armpits is what I call it. Yeah. When you scratch them under the armpits and the belly rub is... Huge! They love the belly rubs. And as
0: they get old, you know their joints could use a little work. They're getting arthritic. I mean, both of our dogs are getting up there. I mean, they're, I'm guessing Fraser is 13 now. If he was one when we got him, and Milo's would be 12. And you know, they're getting a little. Uh, you know, they could use a little a little uh, TLC. On, on the TLC. Lights.
1: Yeah, I I definitely do with with Bo. she's so easy to do that with? Um, and I'm. Always been slightly worried that in the long run, her little disability might have strain her back or or give her some difficulty in her limbs because uh, she's obviously going on three,
0: yeah.
1: rather than four. Um, but uh, she's also remarkably resilient. I mean, they just they bounce back. Yep. You can yell at them for something. Yep. And within you know seconds, they'll be fine. Uh, it's sometimes hard to discipline because you want to be firm and I have a big daddy voice when I talk to her like that and they can tell the tone difference. But still, they're just waiting, waiting for it to pass and, and, and then they're back at you, uh, panting away. Uh, but yeah, Bowie's the, Bowie's the best. I, I, she's the joy of my life. Without her, I don't think I would get through any of this shit that I'm dealing with. Right now, um, and 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 I'm thrilled that that other people are doing that in a time of plague. You know, in some ways, you know, plague is, and I bring this to mindfulness in a way, because I think one of the big challenges in you know, in this particular time is is because the future is so opaque, and you're not quite sure where. Things are going to be, or even if you know, in terms of this particular disease, there's always a chance you'll be dead in three weeks' time. You know, there's a there's a definite indeterminacy, which which I experienced early in my life in a, in a different form. Uh, and you're constantly future thinking. You're constantly worrying about risk. Uh, and and in my case, I'm often thinking about oh, I used to be people. Uh, I used to have a better Life you used to do better work, you know, all the things that writers have in their heads, creative people. These dogs show me how to be present uh, hmm. every day. Um, it's not like they're without memory uh, or without some sort of instinctive apprehension of something menacing occurs, but they're not obsessed with the future.
0: No.
1: And they're not bound by the past. And they also love routine. They love doing things at the same time in the same way every day. They're quite punctilious about it. I mean, uh, at six o'clock, she will be in here. It'll be her time. And if I, if I forget, I, she'll, she's an alarm clock at six o'clock. She'll come in for food. Um, and there's something incredibly calming about that. I mean, they, they, they are mindful creatures in that sense. Yeah. It's
0: funny. You know, Joseph Goldstein, this famous uh, meditation teacher does a thing about Black Lab mindfulness, where he's actually distinguishing. He's saying they're they're different senses of mindfulness. They are they are mindful. They are living in the moment, but not exactly in the way I'm encouraging you to live in the moment because they're not reflective. They are in the moment, but reactive as opposed to being in the moment and reflective. But he doesn't say it exactly that way. Of course. So yes, but simply
1: being in the moment is a model of some sort. You can. Oh yeah, totally.
0: Oh oh yeah, it's like you know the lilies of the field. You know, it's like uh, they they you know uh sufficient unto the day or the troubles thereof or whatever you know it's like uh the, I, I was thinking about that as like they have no anxiety about the future they do have anxi- they, they 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 fear things in the in in the present but they have no anxiety about the future
1: uh, here's, now here's one exception to that maybe is that, that i if i'm traveling anywhere mm-hmm. i well okay not- that. Yeah. I cannot get the case, the suit, as soon as the suitcase is out. They see the signs. Oh yeah. They,
0: she is... That's true. That is true. So
1: she, they can anticipate, uh, future, uh, trouble. Uh, my, <laughs> I don't do this anymore because I found a dog walker, but I used to take her in sometimes to daycare. She didn't like daycare. She didn't like being sent somewhere else in the day. And so when I'd walk at her, she just, every corner there was where we... <laughs> <laughs> go away from the from the daycare center. She would drag me down that corner a little bit. I have to yank her back onto the path. She knew where we were going. She knew what she was about to deal with, and she didn't want to go there. And she mm-hmm. she she made that perfectly clear to yeah, me. No, that's back. true. And the green suitcase, I mean, she will even get into the suitcase when I'm trying to leave. <laughs> <laughs> she will jump in it and not get out. And even and then the other time I was trying to leave, I've learned how to avoid this, but Literally, I couldn't get out the door without her racing out under me to try and go with me. Um, and again, but that's incredibly touching, is it not? I mean, you, you help oh, totally. but feel... Uh,
0: I mean, maybe it, it's more accurate to say they don't ever dwell in the past, although maybe you could come up with a counterexample for that too. I mean, I was thinking the, the context of this well, the is abuse
1: like... Memory, the abuse memory.
0: Well, I guess if it's a memory as opposed to just a, an embedded... Uh, reaction. I mean, there's such a thing as being scarred by the past without consciously remembering it. But I mean, like when I see my dogs, um, when I wake up and they're there, I just think, are they ever having trouble sleeping? I mean, the things that give me trouble sleeping can't afflict them by and large, right? It's like, what am I going to do tomorrow? I've got this thing I've got to do, or did I offend this person yesterday? Or did I, does this piece i wrote uh and sadly is already published have a serious mistake in it and so on they're not yeah this.
1: except the other wonderful thing is hearing them dream oh yeah they dream i and know I, I can see my little bowie I the, the 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 sound she's making isn't quite a howl It's right. a garbled swallowed howl but she's
0: arm now sometimes you can see the eye
1: movements and yes, the eye movements go back and then she, the, the legs will and move. Sometimes and sometimes
0: wagging back. the tail. I, I can tell when Fraser's having a happy dream. Yeah, I can also tell when they're not that happy.
1: Yeah. There's just, uh, and so again, it's not clear that they don't have, uh, premonitions of danger. They don't have memories. If they have dreams, then it seems to me that they're in a particular category here. Now I don't think a, I don't think a moth as a dream or or but,
0: but no no um
1: and it does you know it it allows one to expand the idea of what consciousness is i
0: really do believe they have consciousness of some level um well yeah well i think it, at least in the sense of yes yeah, subjective experience in other words it is like something to be a dog i assume and that is i mean that gets that's what i was saying when i said uh you know sometimes i stare at milo and it's like the love itself that feels like the fundamental attractive force, as if the actual just experience is doing the driving. What I kind of meant is, you know, there are these views of consciousness. There are these Eastern views of consciousness, according to which consciousness is what's fundamental and the material world is secondary, as opposed to the more Western view, which is that the material world, drives the consciousness. And, and, and the only time I've ever really been tempted by the Eastern view is when looking at my dog and thinking like, the, 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 you can almost sense the power of something that's not strictly material. That's, that's what I, what I mean. Wow. Well, yeah. No, that's intense, right? And I wasn't, I wasn't like on drugs or anything. It was just Milo, the effect of Milo. Well,
1: but drugs, drugs, Milo and drugs help you see reality. Not, I mean, I'm much more, I think, probably more on the Eastern view of this. Um, but yes, I do think that after death I will be with my dogs.
0: Cool. I would love to think that. I mean, I haven't totally ruled it out. God, I'd love to part think of my that. consciousness.
1: They have informed my consciousness. They are part of the forever consciousness that I represent. And if that consciousness eventually gets enfolded into consciousness itself, they'll be there. They'll have to be there. Um, and, uh, I mean I'm not going I'm not going to give you some awful sentimental story about rainbow bridge or whatever that's there's a poem that talks about meeting them in the rainbow whatever whatever but um, I do I I I think a lot of people um, believe that their dogs are not entirely mortal but that that there is some element of them that will be with us in the afterlife and uh I'm, I I would I would be disinclined to deny that um mm-hmm. I don't know. Um but I I do think they play a role. I do think, you know, I think all of creation has some form of consciousness in it. Um uh that that we so don't you're, fully understand. So
0: you're a pan you're a panpsychist? You think that gonna, is. Uh it's the idea that, that every uh, the, the consciousness is inherent in, in matter. Even even inorganic matter has some tiny little element of it. Uh yeah, I think I've done
1: acid and uh <laughs> and you and you were beginning I felt <laughs> that. Uh, uh, ketamine will also do that. And Michael Pollan has a beautiful section in his book mm-hmm. about being in the garden uh and 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 with I think almost as rhapsodic as you once were about a weed. He's he's uh he's 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 he's, he's Absorbing mm-hmm. the nature leaves and the grass around him as if they were part of his con, if they were part of consciousness itself. That yeah. leaves, as I recall, that book it's a fantastic book.
0: Yeah, I had a conversation with him, him to uh, on on the show. Yeah, yeah. My rhapsody about the weed was on a meditation retreat, yeah. and, it, and it's interesting that that too can transport you into a different uh, zone. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. So the question is whether that's um. Getting closer to reality or further away from it?
0: Oh, I think closer. I, I mean, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I think closer. I do too. Um, I mean, I mean, I think we're we're you know the, the the basic Buddhist idea that we don't see the world clearly by nature, and it takes work to see it clearly. Uh, um, is true, and the, and then seeing it more clearly is seeing more of the beauty, and and um, and being less of an asshole in the process uh hard one to do though.
1: yeah what's that? one hope
0: one hope so any other uh, uh you mentioned the pandemic you're you're uh you holding up I mean uh, you, you wrote a piece you wrote a piece saying you weren't right you wrote a piece saying you were damn tired of this lockdown thing
1: well yeah uh it's it's very artificial it's highly inhuman uh you know we're not supposed to live this way it it, it it's 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 for those of us who are particularly uh, pasticity about this, because I have very bad lungs, um, well, I'm slightly more relieved now when it seems less respiratory than it did when it first started. When it was supposed to be entirely a respiratory yeah. disease, and now, yeah. now obesity, hypertension, blood blood pressure um, are obviously uh, more powerful comorbidities. But uh, yeah, I I'm a very physical person. I like to hug people. I like to be with people. I uh, have good friends and, 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 uh, I, and my life is solitary enough in, in writing every day. I sit in this room and I'm reading and writing and by myself and the ability to, it's why the dog becomes so important more in, in this era, this, this period. Um, and I don't think, it, I don't think human beings can do this for much longer. I just don't think they can. So that, so we, we just have to uh, relax these things a little bit more with there, his maximum amount of prudence. I know that sounds banal, but that's all I think we do. Mm-hmm. And we, we have to open up a little bit, but I'm not taking my mask off. I even have this, this crazy perspex, uh, this sort of lampshade stuck on my head <laughs> to try and prevent my eyes. Uh, and, uh, but I'm done with it. I really, I really want to go out to my local diner. I really want to go and have a drink with a friend. I want to, you know, I want to do all those things. I, I do go on, Covid dates, as it were, with friends and stay six feet apart and go to the park, mm-hmm. you know, which you can do. And which now, is, are
0: you in DC? You're in DC. Now? I'm in DC
1: now, but I'm going to Provincetown in like two or three weeks. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know what that's going to be like. It's going
0: to be fascinating. Um, well, I think more and more they think that outdoors is much lower risk than indoors.
1: Yeah. 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 And I will spend most of my time outdoors when I'm up there.
0: And warm and humid is good. And so, uh, you know,
1: I don't think you're likely to get it out in the dunes, you know, with the mm-hmm. wind blowing and everything. It's not going to be a problem. The problem though is the province town, you know, is, is, a, is a resort town and its entire economy is built on lots of people showing up in a small place. Yep. Yep. There are no bars going to be open, no clubs, restaurant. It's, it's going to kill it. I mean, I, I think those little resort towns where the businesses depend upon, like, three to four months of the year max yeah. to make a living. Uh, I just don't know whether the town can survive it. And uh, one year and I, I, one season gone completely, and I don't know how many of those small businesses have enough to keep going. And It, it, it worries me a great deal. Um, uh, I will be okay, but uh, I love that place. It will be my 25th full Season there, and mm. I don't, I don't want it to be hammered too much by, by this. Um, but it, I'm afraid it's, there's no way out, right? Is there?
0: Uh, it's a complicated, Ooh. you know, it's like, you know, in a way, honestly, I think it gets back to, uh, partly to what I was saying about when we were, uh, in my youth, people were more casual about risk. You know, like, I just realized I was telling Mickey this, you know, that, that apparently the Hong Kong flu of 68 was a great pandemic. I had the Hong Kong flu. 100,000 Americans died. That's the equivalent of 150,000 now. Uh A million people in the world, the equivalent of 2 million now, I mean, proportional to the population. Um And I remember it was, it was horrible, but it wasn't like it was it was a deal, but it wasn't a big deal. And 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 look, to be sure, this is a bigger deal. This is a bigger deal because it's not so much necessarily a death rate it is it is so stubbornly transmissible. Yeah. And and uh, at this, it's just weird the way the risk is so concentrated in one area. Like virtually everybody in my town has died. Who has died has been in a nursing home. Like ninety five percent of the people. And, uh, it's a strange thing where there is a segment of the population which need only be careful out of concern for others, not out of self-interest. You know, if you're, if you're under 45, 50 and healthy, super low risk that you're going to die. I know they're finding out more and more weird things that can happen, but I'm not sure those aren't being that those actually are, uh, loom very large in terms of percentages. I don't know. So it's, it's just a, it's a weird form of risk adjustment. And, 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 uh, and part of me, uh, goes with the, look, you know, wall off the most vulnerable, like, like treat, you know, just put like barricades around nursing homes and, and people, you know, uh, who are, and I'm kind of on the, on the threshold age wise, like, you know, I'm 63 you know tell them they should be very careful but maybe uh beyond that you know uh you know if you take care of those populations the the whole thing does pretty minimal damage and so i'm i'm kind of torn because i don't I'm, i've gotten
1: more i've gotten more relaxed the last couple of weeks as the data has trickled in especially when we haven't seen a massive rebound we may I, i'm uh. Uh, I'm. I, I've tried to keep a resolutely empirical open mind about this. Uh, the only thing I have is that you know, having gone through uh, a, a very different but not totally different epidemic, uh, you also then had to weigh risks. If I had wanted to say to myself, "You mean you're you're referring to AIDS?" It's for right? HIV, yeah, right. and AIDS. Uh, I could have, and I look back. I could have simply not. Had any sex at all for my teens and twenties until I was actually in my when I was when did it, it actually really shift? Somewhere in my mid 30s late thirties, but I chose not to. I chose to have uh, relationships and sex and a life as many twenty somethings would. I followed the protocols, and I'm, I know people. I mean, a lot of these crazies don't believe me. There's no reason I would lie about this. I did think. I was obeying the protocols and I was fine as Trump would say. <laughs> I tested fine, fine, fine for some reason. I tested the other way. I, I got it somehow. And so I'm particularly wary of the fact that you can have, uh, standards of practice, which are entirely rational and you should do, uh, but that you can't guarantee a hundred percent. You can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I live with that. And at the time, beat myself up with that. But I wouldn't, when I look back, I wouldn't want to have missed an entire, my entire youth uh, uh, in in some kind of uh, monastery. Yeah. I, I, I just would not have, it wouldn't have been living. So you have to... Make some sort of calculated adjustment. We're not used to that, you know, but we, I think we're beginning right. to get, get ready for it.
0: Right. It's um, hard. I mean, once you start thinking of risk as binary, it's hard to get out of that. And, and the lockdown, I think, has kind of done that to us. It's like, OK, I'm just going to avoid anything remotely right. resembling risk. And then the risk starts to subside in terms of just how many people there are in my vicinity who have it. You can look at the numbers, the caseload in New Jersey. It's just a lower risk. And yet you still are kind of thinking like any contact with a person, you know, it, it, and you just have to adjust. You just have to you get do. over that. And it's, it's, it's a process.
1: It's it's a process which we are not really trained in. And one thing I've noticed and been very impressed by when in reading uh, history of this, and I mean obviously this is incredibly – a strong part of human history. Um, they were better. I mean, they were so much more used to mortality. They were yeah. so much more used to huge risk. They were they were so much used to losing their children for this to be a permanent thing. But the resilience of these people in these epidemics staggering to me. I mean I, I think of London as in sixteen sixty five and sixteen sixty six. You know, they lost a quarter of their population in a few months Mm-hmm. in 1665, then the whole fucking city burned down in 1666. Yeah. And they carried on somehow. Uh, and you read, I was just, I wrote this piece of, I'm reading Samuel Pepys's diary at the time. And yes, he's not in denial about the shit that's going on, but they just were so much hardier than we are in terms of how they got on with their lives. And with much less information that we have to reassure themselves and, I mean, the, the idea that Samuel Pepys did not get the fuck out of London is staggering, staggering. for me. But he didn't. And he did survive. Uh, but the idea, for example, that 40% of the population of England disappeared in 18 months in the 1340s, simply mm-hmm. staggering.
0: Well, <laughs> the, you know, the flu epidemic of 1918, 1919, I just heard on the radio uh, by someone who knows. Uh, from someone who know, Woodrow Wilson never mentioned it in public. He Even didn't. He, he didn't wanted it to distract from the war effort, right? Even though he he almost certainly got it in Paris. Uh, that's right. Uh, that's that's right. I think he did, and and it uh, it arguably affected the terms of the treaty.
1: And it also arguably lost the Germans the war, in the sense that they were about to launch an offensive, and the hmm. epidemic was so intense in their uh, among their troops. Oh, is that right? That it really deal, yeah. There's a, there's a, mm. there's a very interesting, it, plagues and they 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 interact with human history in very interesting ways. Mm. Um, and and the other interesting thing about them, not to go off topic, but just a little bit, is how related they are to climate change. That 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 climate change often shifts the patterns of certain animals and the animal, rodents for example move territory they can shift dynamics in such a way that epidemics yeah. take off and it strikes me that that what i'm taking from this is that this is the beginning of something we haven't really pushed the earth to to the extremes that we're now yeah. pushing it that we're entering places we've never entered before
0: yeah that invites animal to human Invites it,
1: yeah. it overwhelmingly and uh and that's why the fifth, you know, the Justinian plague uh, was so devastating because the Roman Empire had actually created routes to transmit it before. I mean, the Roman Empire stretched well, from Scotland to Northern well, Africa.
0: It was the globalization of its day, and 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 you know, just as good things could travel through the conduits of globalization, end they can now, and bad things can. But
1: it's also, I mean, an epidemic of forty to fifty percent. Uh,
0: ifr is not entirely unimaginable the, the, no are, i mean we're lucky i mean if you combined ebola's lethality with the transmissibility of this and you imagine kind of a delayed lethality mm-hmm. so that it can because this this thing uh, transmits itself pre-symptomatically yeah. and if you imagine a highly highly lethal thing that does oh, that can we repeat? david sure, i'm sure just we finishing read. the podcast I'll,
1: I'll call you right back i'm sorry that's my yeah, well, um,
0: well, maybe that's God's way of telling us we shouldn't uh, get any grimmer about this. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs>
1: it's, it's, I think it's one of the most interesting topics I've had to read about in a long time. I, I, I think epidemics are fascinating. I think epidemiology is amazingly interesting. Oh, yeah. People don't understand. They, for example, the mask question, people just don't grasp intuitively that a tiny shift in a risk factor in one person if multiplied can have a huge epidemic epidemiological impact yeah and so you think about yourself as a trivial thing but, but 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 you have to think of yourself as part of a huge organism that is attempting to do this and and ta- trying persuading gay men about that uh was was difficult um
0: but uh No people in general there's an underappreciation of marginal effects. The way changing yeah. something statistically a little bit, not just with epidemics. Mike Kinsley was gonna write a book, a whole book on marginal effects at one point. But um How is Mike? I haven't seen him in a while. Uh last time I saw him was uh in a cab we shared a cab after the uh what was that, the hundredth anniversary of the New Republic? Uh, you know, which was Oh that, that which imploded only. Ready. Yeah, 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 the the, uh, pre-implosion celebration of the New Republic. Um,
1: I I called it the Red Wedding that night. You know
0: the name of reference? Uh, I don't, but you're more learned than I am. No,
1: I'm more adept at pop culture. The Red Wedding was, uh, they invited everybody to a grand celebration. Half the people were slaughtered. Ah. (laughs) Uh, That was when the new owner misspelled Leon.
0: Were you there? I was there. It was, I was at, uh, it was such a big place. I, 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 I was, uh, I'm sure you had a, a table, a table closer to the seat of power than me. Anyway, uh, yeah, that was, um, quite the thing. Um, well, well, so I guess, uh, apparently you, you, uh, there's somebody, it was somebody on the other end of the phone who wants well, you to Well, I have a, I have
1: an editor demanding an 8,000 word essay, so I, well, uh, I got it.
0: Unlike, unlike me, that's somebody who's paying you money, so I can, uh, I can understand. Uh, how You might want to tend great. to that. So, but thank you. I hope we've convinced no. everyone to uh, to Get kill the cat, kill the cats, and buy dogs. <laughs>
1: uh, that's great. I never. I'm. I'm delighted to find. I didn't know that about you, particularly.
0: It's oh. intense, man, it and, is. and it's getting more so.
1: Yeah, I know. and I
0: may need to turn to you uh, for solace when the uh, inevitable day arrives, given the age of these dogs. But, I think there's, uh, only,
1: there's only one solution to losing a dog, and that is. Getting a new one immediately, or yeah. getting a puppy in in a couple of months before you realize this is going to happen, because yeah. that is the only. I'm I'm counseling my brother on this too. You, if I didn't have Bowie to go home to, yeah. you know, it would have been must. Well, we do
0: have two dogs, and it's unlikely, you know, they'll both go at once. So yeah. that'll give us, yeah. But uh, but but thank you. This is uh, yeah. this has been great, and uh, I'll keep let up you.
1: the keep up the Mickey. Podcast because um some of us just uh, live them.
0: God bless you for that blurb. We <laughs> will use it. Okay. The funniest, I mean, it helps that I know
1: you both, but it, there's just something just gloriously <laughs> wry and funny and dry about the whole thing. Uh, you're, you're both so good together.
0: Just to exploit this commercial opportunity, I want to make sure people understand that Andrew's talking about uh, something that, like this conversation, can be found in the right show. Uh, podcast feed or on YouTube, whatever. That's uh con- regular conversation now with Mickey Cows. So I will tell Mickey you said hello, Andrew. Please do, and and thank That's you so much.
1: And and uh, and Anne in L.A. <laughs> a few months ago. Oh, Okay, we had a good time.
0: All right, good. Okay, well, take care. Goodbye. Okay,